reading this morning is taken from Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemn, condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. ABC. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together so far. Appreciate Ben leading us in our singing and all the other men who have led us in worship. What a great God we serve. It's apparent in assemblies like this one that it's the greatest thing in the world to be a Christian. I hope that you believe that. I'm sure that you do. I know that's the reason you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans the 5th chapter. If you want to turn with me there, Romans chapter 5. And we're going to be studying in the wider context of what was just read for us in verses 18 and 19. We're going to be reading and studying in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So if you'd like to turn there with me, Romans the 5th chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. As we continue the sermon series that we began last week, a sermon series that is centered on the topic of grace. If a person were to visit the nation of Israel, there were a lot of different things that a person would want to make sure that they saw, especially the bodies of water that exist in Israel, two of which are very contradictory. To one another, two of which are very different from one another. First, you might want to visit the Dead Sea. Perhaps you've heard of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is not only the lowest point of elevation on earth, but it's also the saltiest body of water in the world. The waters of the Dead Sea contain about ten times the salt of normal salt water that you would get out of the ocean. Experts estimate that the Dead Sea contains 41 billion tons of salt. That's a lot of salt, isn't it? Because of that high concentration of salt, nothing is able to live. Nothing is able to survive. There's no fish in the water. There's no vegetation in the water. Notice that even on the shore, there's nothing green. There's no fruits. There's no flowers. There's no vegetation. They don't call it the Dead Sea for nothing. Everything in the Dead Sea is associated with death. Nothing can live in the waters or the shore of the Dead Sea. But then, if you travel about 60 miles north, you're going to find another body of water that you would want to visit called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a lot different than the, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is associated with death. They don't call it the Dead Sea for nothing. The Sea of Galilee on the other hand, is streaming with life. From biblical times, it's been a popular place to fish. We read about that in the New Testament. There's 27 different species of fish in the Sea of Galilee today, in present time. As you can see on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, it's not bare like the Dead Sea. Instead, it's green, it's luscious, there's vegetation and fruits 
and flowers. These are two seas, two lakes, two bodies of water that exist in the same country. Both of them are mentioned in Scripture, but they're very different from one another. One is associated with death, and the other one is streaming with life. That illustration makes me think about how there are only two types of people in this world. We divide up people in all kinds of different ways, don't we? We divide up people based on race or ethnicity, based on socioeconomic status, based on gender or age. The list could go on and on. But in reality, whenever we look at the pages of Scripture, there are only two types of people in this world. The way that Paul's going to say it in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, is that there are those who are in Adam, and there are those who are in Christ. There are those who are like the Dead Sea, who have nothing but death. They are defined by death. And then there are those who are like the Sea of Galilee, who are streaming with life. Those who are in Adam, death, and those who are in Christ, life. You know what the difference is between those two groups of people? You know what the difference is between those who are in Adam who are defined by death and those who are in Christ who are defined by life? When we go to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, the Greek word for grace or the word that's translated in the ESV as free gift, which comes from the same root word as grace, or the closely related word for gift, are used ten different times in this passage. When you study through and you read through Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, what is the main idea of this text? What is this text all about? It's all about the grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. The favor that God bestows on us whenever we deserve His wrath. Favor bestowed when wrath is owed. It's about this free gift that God is willing to extend to us in Jesus Christ. Well, what does grace do in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21? How is grace described? When you look at Romans 5 and verse 15, notice that Paul says, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. What does grace do in verse number 15? Grace abounds. Grace overflows. It's like taking a cup and filling it up with water and filling it up to the point that it's overflowing over the sides. That's what grace does. It abounds. It overflows. Verse 17 talks about the abundance of grace. Verse 20 talks about where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The main idea in this passage of Scripture is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it do? It abounds. See, that's the difference. That's the difference between those who are in Adam, defined by death, and those who are in Christ, defined by life. It's the abounding overflowing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's see what Paul has to say about that in this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. As we continue our sermon series about grace, let's consider those who are in Adam. Let's consider those who are in Christ. And let's consider how grace is what makes the difference. Romans... It's a very deep and theological book. 
It's a book that details to us our sin. We know Romans 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it's not just about our sin, it's about the solution to our sin. That man has the opportunity to be justified by faith. To be made right, to be made righteous by the faith that we place in Jesus whenever we are willing to submit to His will over our own. Paul, of course, continues those themes in Romans chapter 5, verses 12-21, through 21, putting an emphasis on Adam and putting an emphasis on Christ. So let's see what Paul has to say. Number one, in verses 12 through 14, as Paul begins in this passage of Scripture, he introduces to us Adam and Christ. He introduces to us the ideas that are going to shape what we find in the rest of the passage. As he introduces Adam and Christ to us, in verses 12 through 14, he starts with Adam. Introducing Adam and Adam's sin, the impact of Adam's sin. Well, what does Paul want us to understand about Adam? The first thing that Paul tells us about Adam in verse number 12 is that Adam brought sin into the world. In verse 12, there at the very beginning of this passage, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, with that phrase, he takes us back to the first few chapters of the Bible. The first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Remember in Genesis 1 how God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, and said it was very good. In Genesis 2, it zeroes in on the creation of man, the creation of Adam. And when you go to Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17, God gave to Adam one command, one rule to live by as he lived in the beautiful Garden of Eden. Verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That was the command, the rule that God gave to Adam. Don't eat of this tree. He says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you continue reading in Genesis 2, God creates a helper suitable for Adam in the person of Eve. At the beginning of Genesis 3, they're living together in perfection. They're living in the presence of God. They're living in a place where no hurt, no pain, and no sin exists. That is, until Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6. When Eve was tempted by the serpent, you know the story. She took fruit from the forbidden tree. She ate it herself. She gave some to Adam. He ate of the fruit. And it was in that moment, verse number 12, that Adam brought sin into the world. Adam introduces sin into this perfect reality that God had created in the Garden of Eden. What kind of impact did sin have on the Garden of Eden, on Adam? What kind of impact did sin have on the world? Well, as we continue in verse number 12, we see that Adam, Adam brought sin into the world, and his sin, verse 12, brought death into the world. What did God tell Adam? What did we just read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17? When you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what's going to happen? You shall surely die. And that's exactly what happened. Whenever Adam ate of the tree, both physical and spiritual death entered into the world. Adam, when you read to the end of Genesis 3, he's removed from the Garden of Eden and no longer has access to the tree of life. In comes physical death. Adam deliberately disobeyed God. 
He did what God told him not to do. When we go to Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. In comes spiritual death, which I think Paul is primarily referring to in this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 5. Adam brought sin into the world. Sin brought death into the world. But that's just talking about Adam, right? This is just concerned with him and what he did. His spirituality, his standing before God. Well, no, notice as we continue to read there in verse 12 down to verse 14, the Bible says that death didn't just stay with Adam, but death spread to all, uh, all people, all humanity. The ESV says in, in verse number 12 that that Adam, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, including you and including me. But why did that happen? Why did death spread to all men? Well, it's not because we inherited Adam's sin. It's not because we inherited Adam's guilt when we were born into the world as newborn babies. But notice verse number 12 that Death spread to all men because all sin. When we choose to follow in Adam's footsteps, we experience his consequences. When we choose to follow in his example of deliberate disobedience to what God has told us to do, then we are going to experience what he experienced, and that is death. I believe Paul's talking about spiritual death, separation from God. This is what Paul wants us to understand. This is what he wants us to get about Adam in this first few verses, in verses 12 through 14. He brought sin into the world. His sin brought death into the world. And now death is spread to all of humanity because we've chosen by our own volition and our own free will to participate in it. That's the introduction to Adam, and it's pretty bleak, isn't it? But when you look at the end of verse 14 we see just a glimmer of hope as we are introduced to Christ. Paul says at the very end of verse 14 that, Christ, that rather Adam is a type of the one who is to come. Paul's saying that Adam is foreshadowing Jesus. He's pointing us forward to Jesus. What Adam did in the Garden of Eden is pointing us forward to what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And we're going to develop this more fully as we continue to walk through this passage of Scripture. In Adam, we see our problem. But in Christ, we see our solution. He is a type of the one who is coming. He foreshadows Jesus. He points towards Jesus and what Jesus has been willing to do for us. Here in this, these first few verses, Adam and Christ, the two figures that are going to be considered throughout the rest of the passage, are introduced. It was in 1970 that Apollo 13 went on a mission into space on an expedition to the moon with three astronauts on board. If you're familiar with this story, I believe they were about 56 hours into their mission. They were 200,000 miles into space whenever one of their oxygen tanks exploded and blew out a side of the spacecraft that they were in. Amazingly, all three astronauts survived and lived to tell the story, but there's a popular catchphrase that comes from that specific event with Apollo 13. Does anybody know what it is? Houston? 
we have a problem. Used that before, haven't you? When we read through Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, and we talk about Adam, we should walk away saying these same words. Houston, we have a problem. In Adam, we see our problem. Because of our decisions to disobey God. Because of the choices that we have made to participate in the sin of Adam. To sin in the same way that Adam did. Death has spread to all of us. Death has spread to all of humanity. Adam brought sin into the world. His sin brought death into the world. And now death is spread to everyone because we have chosen to rebel against God. That is a problem. In Adam, we see our problem. But what about the one who Adam points us towards? What about the one who Adam is a type of? The one who he foreshadows? What about Jesus Christ? Well, we said that as we introduced Adam and Christ, Adam is a type. Of Jesus. He foreshadows Jesus, which means in many ways they're going to be similar. They're going to be comparable. But does that mean that they're exactly the same? Does that mean that their identity and their works and their consequences are exactly identical? Well, no, as we continue to work throughout this passage, we not only see Adam and Christ introduced, but we also see them contrasted in verses 15 through 17. Notice what Paul says. He says to us in verse 15 that Christ's gift is not like Adam's trespass. There he's contrasting two different acts. The gift of Jesus in hanging on the cross and dying for your sin and my sin and Adam's trespass in the Garden of Eden. Paul wants us to know that those two things are not the same. Those two acts, though they will be comparable in just a few minutes, they are not identical. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. Let's talk about the trespass. What comes from Adam's sin? Verse 16 says that many died through one man's trespass. Adam brought, began, inaugurated a process through which spiritual death takes place. Death spreads through Adam's trespass. But what about Jesus? What about His gift? What about His sacrifice and hanging on the cross for us? Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Can you see the contrast there? In Adam, death spreads. In Jesus, grace abounds. That's an amazing contrast that whenever I'm in Adam, death is going to spread. We'll say in just a minute, death is going to reign over my life. But whenever I'm in Jesus, grace is going to abound. It's going to overflow like a, we said a cup that you fill up with water to that it's overflowing. That's what grace does in our lives whenever we're connected to Christ. Jesus didn't have to die for us. Jesus didn't have to give us that gift. We didn't do anything to earn or merit Jesus hanging on the cross for our sins. But yet, that's exactly what He did. And that's why we call it grace. But notice number two, this is not just about the two acts in verse 15. This is also about the results of those two acts. The results of Christ's gifts are not the same. They are not like the results of Adam's trespass. We see the results of Adam's trespass in verse 16. Paul uses the word judgment. He uses the word condemnation. But what about Jesus' gift? They're not the same. He says through Jesus' 
free gift, we're able to have justification. We're able to be made righteous in the eyes of God. God is able to look at us just as if we have never sinned. Look at it again, the contrast in verse 17, that by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. When I am in Adam, death is going to reign over my life like a harsh dictator. But what if I'm in Christ? Whenever I'm in Christ, when I choose to receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, notice that's a choice. That's a decision we make to receive Jesus' grace, to receive His righteousness. He says it results in reigning in life. Again, the contrast is amazing to look at. When I'm in Adam, death is going to reign over me, but when I'm in Christ, I'm going to reign in life alongside of Jesus. I'm not going to be ruled by death. Instead, I'm going to rule in life alongside of the Lord. It's a contrast. But notice, it's not just a contrast. That as he's contrasting Adam and Christ, he wants to make clear to us that Christ's gift, what Jesus has done, and the results of his gift is greater than that of Adam. In verse 15 and verse 17, do you notice the words, much more? Whatever Adam has brought into the world, Jesus offers much more. Whatever Adam has done, Jesus has the power. Jesus has the capability to reverse because Jesus, His gift, His grace is greater than Adam's trespass and the condemnation and judgment that comes along with it. Jesus is superior to Adam, even in their contrast. But as we continue, Paul not only contrasts them, he also compares them. Let me introduce you to them. Let me show you how they're different. Now let me show you how they are comparable to one another in verses 18 through 21. First, he compares Adam's trespass with Christ's righteous act. He says in verse 18 that one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And in the same way, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Adam's trespass leads to condemnation, and in a similar way, Jesus' righteous act in hanging on the cross leads to justification. It leads to life. We see a compared Adam's disobedience with Christ's obedience. We already said that Adam was disobedient to God. God told him what not to do. Gave him one rule in the Garden of Eden and he broke that. Deliberately disobedient to God. And we see that in that, verse 19, he began this process through which people become sinners. In Adam, I'm a sinner. But what about Jesus? Well, Jesus also appeared in a garden, didn't he? Not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few hours from his crucifixion, he prayed a prayer to God, let this cup pass from me. God, if we can find another way and for me to not go through all of this difficulty and all this suffering, then let's find another way. There's a cup of suffering sitting in front of me. Jesus says, I don't want to drink it. I'm asking you to remove it. But then how does he end the prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. In the same way that Adam disobeyed God, Christ obeyed God. Adam said, my will be done. And began a process through which we become sinners. 
Christ said, Thy will be done, and began a process through which we become righteous. Oftentimes I hear Christians say that we're sinners. You ever heard that? And I think that's true to a certain extent. If you're saying that we're sinners and that we sin and I say things that are wrong and I do things that are wrong, well, that's right. Because I do, I do sin. But as Christians, it's important for our terminology to be biblical. When we're in Christ, we're not sinners. Those who are in Adam are sinners. Those who are in Christ are sharing in His righteousness. Those who are in Christ have been justified. They have been made righteous by the abounding, overflowing grace of the Lord. And then the final comparison here is between sin reigning in death and grace reigning through righteousness. When I am in Adam, like we said a few minutes ago, sin is going to reign in my life like a ruthless dictator and it's going to lead me towards death. Well, in the very same way, whenever I'm in Christ, it's not sin that's going to reign in my life. It's grace that is going to reign in my life through righteousness He says at the end of verse 21, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look at the contrast of Adam and Christ, you look at the comparison of Adam and Christ, what do we walk away saying? We walk away saying that Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. Whatever Adam has done, whatever impact Adam has had on humanity through his sin and bringing death into the world, Christ has a greater. Christ has a more far-reaching impact than that of Adam. It reminds me of some guys who were training to drive tractor trailers. They were sitting in a class and the teacher was up teaching them different things. You can see up on the screen, I think he's teaching them something about backing. But in this story, he was talking to them about a specific scenario. What would you do if you were driving your tractor trailer, your co-driver's name is Ed, and he's fast asleep? You're going down this narrow, two-lane, mountainous road going up and down. A tractor trailer gets behind you and decides you're going too slow. They're going to pass you as you go up a hill. As you top the hill you see another tractor trailer coming towards you. And apparently the tractor trailer behind him thought he was going too slow and so decided to get into the other lane. So now you have two tractor trailers coming head to head, face to face with two other tractor trailers on this narrow two-lane mountainous road. What would you do? One of the students raised his hand and said, I know what I would do. First thing I would do is wake up Ed. Teacher was confused by that. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you wake up Ed? Why, why would that be your first choice? He said, well, Ed ain't never seen a truck wreck like this one. You've heard that before. I don't think that's the right answer, do you? I'm not so sure that's the solution that the teacher was looking for. We said a few minutes ago, in Adam, we see our problem. Here's a scenario, and it's really not a scenario, it's a reality that all humanity is suffering from. Adam brought sin into the world, his sin brought death into the world, now death is spread to all people because we've chosen to sin. We are guilty, we've participated in Adam's sin, and now we're suffering his consequences. That's the scenario, now what are you going to do? What's the answer? What's the solution? In Adam, we see our problem, but it's in Christ that we see our 
solution. Will you hear me when I say that you can be forgiven? Will you hear me when I say that you're not too far gone? Will you hear me when I say that what we're talking about in these texts can be a reality in your life every day that you live? You don't have to be a sinner. You can be righteous. Death doesn't have to reign over you. You can reign in life alongside of Jesus. Sin doesn't have to reign in death in your life. Instead, grace can reign in your life. It can overflow. It can abound in your life through righteousness leading to eternal life in the presence of the Lord. What does it take? It takes us receiving that free gift of righteousness. It takes us receiving that abounding grace in order to place myself in Christ and to access the blessings and the benefits that flow from that. So would you reflect, what is it in your life? Are you a sinner in Adam? Or are you righteous in Christ? Are you condemned and judged in Adam? Or are you justified, made righteous in Christ? Is sin reigning over your life right now in death? Or are you reigning in life alongside of Jesus? Is grace abounding? Is grace overflowing in your life? In my life? It's an amazing section of Scripture that teaches us about how grace abounds. We didn't cover every detail of this text, of course, especially when it comes to the different dispensations of time that it talks about. The time from Adam to Moses, and then when it mentions a little bit later in the chapter about living under the Old Testament law. But we can see the general structure, can't we? We can see the main idea. Adam and Christ introduced, contrasted, compared. We walk away knowing that grace wins. Grace abounds. Grace overflows. In Adam, we see our problem. But in Christ and His abounding grace, we see our solution. We're about to stand and sing a song of invitation. It's going to be an opportunity for an individual to say, I want that to be me. I want that to be my life and my reality. We're going to sing a song called Grace Greater Than All Our Sins. But before we stand and sing that song together, I thought it might be helpful for us to read the lyrics of that song. I don't know about you, but whenever I sing sometimes, I don't think about the words like I should. I don't think about the meaning that's being communicated. So I want to ask you, as we read these lyrics and then as we stand and sing them, reflect on your life. Reflect on this text. The abounding grace of our Lord, is it yours? Is it something that you have claimed today? Verse 1, marvelous grace of our Loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, Freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace.
Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Thanks be to God for His abounding grace, which is truly greater than all of our sin. If we can help you to access that this morning, we'd love to, as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. to wash it away. 